0: I'll invite you this evening to turn with me in your Bibles to Acts chapter 1, verse, the first verse 11 verses of Acts chapter 1, and we'll read God's Word this evening under the heading of the Ascension of Christ from Acts chapter 1. Let's give our attention now to the reading of God's Word. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus Christ began to do and teach For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So, when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father is fixed by his own authority. Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who is taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. This is the word of the Lord. And then we'll also turn this evening to our confessional reading, which is from the Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Day 18, which is on page 218 of your forms and prayers books, and as well as it's printed out in your... Bulletin. Lord's Day 18, the summary of the Bible's teaching on the ascension of Jesus Christ. Question 46. What do you mean by saying He ascended to heaven? That Christ, while His disciples watched, was taken up from the earth into heaven and remains there on our behalf until He comes again to judge the living and the dead. But isn't Christ with us until the end of the world as He promised us? Christ is true man and true God. In His human nature, Christ is not now on earth, but in His divinity, majesty, grace, and spirit, He is never absent from us. If His humanity is not present, wherever His divinity is, then aren't the two natures of Christ separated from each other? Certainly not. Since divinity is not limited and is present everywhere, it is evident that Christ's divinity is surely beyond the bounds of the humanity that he has been taken on. But at the same time, his divinity is in and remains personally united to his humanity. Flip the page to question 49 how does Christ's ascension to heaven benefit us? First, He is our Advocate in heaven in the presence of His Father. Second, we have our own flesh in heaven as a sure pledge that Christ our Head will also take us, His members, up to Himself. Third, He sends His Spirit to us on earth as a corresponding pledge by the Spirit's power we seek not earthly things, but the things above where Christ is, sitting at God's right hand. Blessed congregation, we have gathered together to study the Heidelberg Catechism's explanation of the person and the work of Jesus Christ. And we come to the second last Lord's Day, concerned with God, the Son but we know that the whole of the Heidelberg Catechism is about Jesus and about His grace. But in the second last Lord's Day about His life, we now turn to the subject of the Ascension. My friends, do you know why it's important that we as Christian people study our catechisms and our creeds? Because it forces us to focus on the parts of our faith and the parts of Christ and His life and His work that are so often forgotten. As I was studying this week the Heidelberg Catechism's Lord's Day 18, one thing I heard over and over again from various people was that the ascension of Christ is the most often forgotten part of Jesus' ministry. Everyone in the world is familiar with Jesus' birth. Christmas. Everyone in the world is familiar with Jesus' death and resurrection. Easter. But so little do we often meditate on His 40 days on earth where He showed Himself to His disciples and proved that His Gospel was true and then in their sight, ascended from this earth all the way into heaven. Yet the ascension of Christ is such an important part of our faith, isn't it? It teaches us one of the most important truths of the Bible. That the gospel ends in heaven. The Gospel always ends in heaven. We might wonder, as Christian people today in the 21st century, why couldn't Christ have just stayed on earth with us? In those 40 days in between His resurrection and ascension, we know that His body was changed. In one moment He'd be here, in the next moment He'd be here. We see that He was able to pass through walls and to walk and be with His disciples even though He had nail-pierced hands and feet and a hole in His side. We might say, why couldn't Jesus just stay on this earth with us so that we could ask Him the burning questions of our day? So that He could teach us like He taught His disciples. So that we could worship Him and adore Him even now. What the Ascension teaches us is that the goal of the Christian life, the end of the Christian life, is life with God in heaven. The Ascension of Christ assures us that the Christian who lives and believes in the Gospel will go to heaven. That's our theme this evening Christ has gone up to heaven for our good. He has gone up to heaven for our good. I want to show you this just in two simple points this evening. The ascension of Christ and the benefits of Christ's ascension. The ascension of Christ and the benefits of Christ's ascension. So we want to look this evening at the first chapter of the book of Acts where the Gospel writer Luke Picks up right where he left off at the end of Luke chapter 24. He mentions in Acts verse 1 uh, that there is a first book, and what he's referring to here is actually his first gospel. His only gospel, I should say, but the gospel of Luke. But notice with me in verse 1 that he dedicates this second book, as he does in the first book, to somebody named Theophilus. Theophilus is literally translated as a friend of God. And if you flip back to Luke chapter 1 verse 3, we see that Luke is also dedicated to somebody named Theophilus. We don't know who this man is other than these two instances. This is the only recording we have of him in our Bibles, uh, but what we do know about him is that in Luke he is called most excellent which is a term only ever used by Luke to describe people in authority, people of government, people who may have had, who may have been quite educated. But he tells us, what we infer, I should say, is that Theophilus is someone who fears God. But in verse 1, as we continue on, let's read that together. We learn something very important about the work of Jesus Christ. He says, In the first book, the Gospel of Luke, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. Luke is an incredible writer, and just in these first in, uh, sentence, he teaches us something about the life and the work of Jesus Christ. Jesus began his work while he was on on earth, but he continues to do his work while He is in heaven. When we pause and consider the ascension of Christ, I want to ask you a question. What do you think Christ is doing in heaven right now? Did He retire? Did He ascend into heaven and just enjoy being worshipped and glorified? Just by this one word, began, Luke is immediately reminding us that Christ has begun his work, but he is not done with his work. But his work is now through the Spirit and through his people. The book of Acts is actually a short form, short form name of the book. I believe it's that the title the title of the book in your pew Bibles there is The Acts of the Apostles. But what Luke is really saying in, Luke, in Acts 1 verse 1 is that it's not the Acts of the Apostles at all. Acts is really about the Acts of the Ascended Lord Jesus who works through His Apostles. Who works through His Holy Spirit. Who works through the Word of God to establish His church. In fact, if you were to read through the whole book of Acts this evening, what do we take away about the ministry and the life of the disciples and the apostles? They're not impressive. They're not strong. They're not the smartest men. No, often they are reluctant. They are passive. They always seem late. But God pours out His Spirit. Acts 2. The Spirit reveals the Gentiles' place and calls the Gentiles into the kingdom. Acts 10. The Word of God went forth. Acts 12. And multiplied. It's all about God in the book of Acts. And Luke says in verse 2, that Christ did it all after His ascension. Our catechism elaborates there in question 46. It says that, while Christ, that Christ, while His disciples watched, was taken up from earth into heaven, after which He governed, it says in verse 2, through His Spirit. Verse 2, uh, I like the way that the King James Version Renders it, it says that through the Holy Ghost, He gave commandments to the apostles whom He chose. See, what the King James Version, I think, is capturing here is that Christ is the one doing the work. And so don't miss this this evening, my friends, that from heaven, Christ is still with His people by His Holy Spirit. And so to illustrate this work, Luke gives us a short description of the life of Christ on earth in those 40 days between His resurrection and His ascension. If you look beginning at verse 3, it says, He presented Himself alive to them after His suffering by many proofs appearing to them 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, He ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father which He said, You heard from Me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not too many days from now. And then on to verse 8. This is a short summary of what happened between Christ's resurrection and His ascension. He appeared to His disciples... Uh, Luke records in verse 3. And he shows them the proofs of his resurrection, his nail pierced hands and his feet, and his side that was pierced with the spear. He sat with them and taught with them about the kingdom of God. But if you look in verse 4, excuse me, verse 5, what does Jesus teach them about? The Holy Spirit. Look at verse 8. Jesus again teaches them about the Holy Spirit, his last words on earth, the dominant theme of his message in his last conversations on earth was about the Holy Spirit. I put the question to you this evening if you knew that you were about to die, about to say goodbye to your friends and your family members, what would you say? What would be the theme of your final few days with someone you love? Profess for them your love? Your care? Tell them where you buried the money out back so they can find it after? For Jesus, Luke tells us that Jesus emphasized His abiding presence with the believers even after His ascension. Just ponder that for a moment this evening. Jesus' final, comforting, loving word to His best friends on earth is, I will be with you. But the disciples wanted the kingdom now. Verse 6, Lord, will You at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? They didn't understand that Jesus going to heaven was actually for their good. It was better for them. It was better for the church. How is it better for the church? How is it better for us that Christ is in heaven? Jesus tells us. Because He gives us His Holy Spirit. Allow me to illustrate this. Here in the United States, we have a president who is elected from the people and for the people, right? He's supposed to be our president. But Joe Biden doesn't know my name. He doesn't know my interests. No president could ever care for every single person in the whole nation, right? Even if it was a smaller nation. There's 30, 331 million people here. You couldn't possibly care for everyone here. But look what the catechism says in question 47 that Christ is true man and true God, and is, even though His human nature is not now on earth, but His divinity, divinity, majesty, and grace, and spirit, He is never absent from us. By His ascension, He becomes an infinitely better King of kings. Better than any president or prime minister. Better than any king or queen because He gives us personalized, intimate care to all of His people. Christ also taught on this in John 16. He says, it's to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you, but if I go, I will send Him to you. That's John 16, verse 7. He ascends into heaven that He might pour out the Spirit into our hearts. And so we read in verse 9 that as He was teaching these things, the disciples are looking at Him. A great miracle took place. It says Christ was lifted up into heaven. I cannot explain how this happened. Just like his incarnation, his birth is inexplainable. His resurrection is inexplainable. These things are too wonderful for us to understand. Here is the application this evening. You are not called to understand, but you are called to believe. He ascended into heaven for your good. Maybe some of you this evening were perplexed at question 48. It seems in some ways to come out of left field in our Heidelberg Catechism. We're talking about the comfort of Christ. Well, I should say the reality of Christ's ascension and the benefits of Christ's ascension. And then question 48 just seems to catch us off guard. A theological question about the two natures of Christ in the one person of Jesus But I want you to notice that it gives a pastoral application as well. The question it's essentially asking is, if Christ is bodily in heaven and His deity deity is everywhere present, are those two natures separate? And really, the problem here is that if this is the case, Jesus would just be a man sitting on the throne of God in heaven. And His deity would be down here with us. And no mere man can sit on God's throne. But the catechism's answer may be best understood with an analogy. Just like how the sun rises every morning, it's hung in the universe. It's far from us. But it surrounds us with its light. So does Jesus, seated upon the throne of God, send forth His deity surrounds us with His Deity, warms our hearts, and wraps us in Himself. Here is the application. Though Jesus Christ remains in Heaven, His body remains in Heaven, He remains with us spiritually. He is with every member of this church at every moment of the day. He is with you in your distress. He is with you in your anxiety. He is with you in your pain. He is with you at the beginning of every day and the end of every day. We never need to be afraid that Christ will not be with us tomorrow. Yes, the difficulties are with us in life. Yes, we all face trials and temptations. But so is Jesus with us and he will enable us to see it through. Sometimes we ask the question when we're going through hard times, where is God in this trial? Notice the catechism's answer. He is never absent with us. He is with you. He is with you. Isn't it wonderful that our catechism reveals this about Jesus, that He has ascended into heaven. That's a historical fact. And His presence is with us by the power of His divinity. And then it gets to the benefits. As if His everywhere presence isn't already a benefit, isn't already great, and a gift to us in our lives. But we turn then to the second point in our sermon this evening, the benefits of Christ's ascension. Now, it may be helpful for us to flip back to Luke's gospel to the end of Luke chapter 24. If you have a Bible, I invite you to turn there with me, where we see Luke recording the ascension for Theophilus a first time in Luke 24, verse 50, verses 50 through 53. we read these words. And he led them out as far as Bethany. And lifting up his hands, he blessed them. And while he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God. What is Jesus doing while he is ascending into heaven? He is blessing his people. Doesn't this show us something about the ascension of Christ? The heart of Christ in his ascension? Jesus' heart in his being lifted up is to bless you. Paul says in Ephesians 1 Verse 3, I believe it is, that Christ is the possessor of all blessings. And He is also the distributor of all blessings. And what are those blessings? The catechism enumerates three. The first blessing, our catechism says, is that He is our advocate in heaven, in the presence of the Father. Here it's touching on an Old Testament theme called the priesthood, where from the house of Aaron and from the tribe of Levi, there would be men chosen who would stand before God in the service of the temple. These men, we are told, would atone for with sacrifices. They would cover the sins of, uh, of Israel. But we're told, remember in uh, Hebrews 10, that those sacrifices could never take away sins. They were imperfect high priests. They could never always stand before the Lord. They would eventually die. And so the Old Testament tells us we need an eternal high priest, a high priest, Psalm 110, like Melchizedek, who never dies. We need an eternal high priest. Somebody who always holds us up. Someone who never fails in His intercession. If you remember question 31 of your catechism, which of course you all do, why is He called Christ, meaning anointed? He has been ordained by the Father, anointed by the Holy Spirit, and then in the middle of the question it says, to be our only high priest who has delivered us by the one sacrifice of His body and who continually intercedes for us. The catechism says, this is His role as our priest to intercede for us before the Father. What this means is that when Satan brings a charge against you, when Satan says, you're not worthy of God's love, you're not worthy of heaven, it's Christ who takes up your defense. When you are struggling with temptation, it's Christ who comes to your aid. He sees you in your weakness and He has pity upon you. He sees the defilement of our consciences and He purifies us. He sanctifies and saves. He prepares a place for them. He preserves us. Believers have nothing to fear because He prays for us in heaven. I have prayed for you, he said to Peter, that your faith may not fail. He is our advocate before the Father. Always praying and interceding for us. The Catechism goes on and says, we also have a heavenly pledge. We have our own flesh in heaven as a sure pledge that Christ, our head, will also take us His members up to Himself. If you go back to Acts chapter 1, we are told that after His resurrection, we see that He presented Himself alive to them after His suffering by many proofs. He is proving here to His disciples this is the same flesh and blood that they loved before His death. It's the same body that He was born in. The same body that He lived in. The same body that He died in. That is the same body that was resurrected and ascended into heaven. And the catechism says, because your flesh, the flesh of Adam is in heaven, this is your promise. That you will join Him. Maybe just like a prisoner, who's uncertain about the time of when he'll get out of prison, might feel very restless. But when he learns that he has been pardoned and he has a date when he can leave his cell, he can do it. He knows it's just a matter of time. So it is with us. Since Christ has taken our flesh into heaven, the declaration of pardon, the declaration that men can be in the presence of God because of our forerunner, pardon has been pronounced. Now it's only a matter of time until we will join Him in heaven. And finally, and briefly, the Catechism says, and since we've already noted it, we won't go into too much length, but we see that Christ also gives us an earthly pledge. He sends His Spirit to us on earth as a corresponding pledge by the Spirit's power. We seek not earthly things, but the things above where Christ is sitting at God's right hand. There's something very sweet in these words. Corresponding pledge. We don't think about it too much, but we actually do corresponding pledges all the time. When two people love each other, and they get married, they give each other, as a pledge of their love, a ring. So that every time you look at your ring, you're reminded of the person who loves you, and their love for you, and your love for them. This is what the catechism is describing here when it says corresponding pledge. Jesus is in heaven and he always thinks of you because he has our pledge, our flesh. But he desires that we would always think of him and so he gives us a corresponding pledge, his spirit. And through this, Christ and his people are bound together. So much so that the groom, Jesus, prays in heaven, Father, I desire that they may be with me. And the bride on earth says, Come quickly, Lord Jesus. He has given us this pledge. It's not only a testimony of his love but the Spirit has also given us in power. By the Spirit's power we seek not earthly things, but the things that are above where Christ is, sitting at God's right hand. One of the things I love is when you hear stories of somebody who went off to war and maybe they had to leave their wife or their children behind. And then, all throughout the time that they're overseas and at war, what do they talk about? Their spouse, their children. They fight that war, yes, for their country, yes, for their freedoms, but they also fight that war so they can go back home, so that they can be with the person that they love, that they want to be with. Here, Christ is saying, I give you my pledge, I give you my love. So that you will fight the good fight. Run the race to be with me. To think upon me. And to do it all for my glory. And for the sake of heaven. There's one other thing that must be noted. That is, Christ ascended into heaven, and the disciples watched. We are told in verse 11 that, or verse 10, excuse me, that two men stood by them in white robes and then said to them, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who is taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way you saw him go to heaven. They are reminding the disciples, as our catechism does in question 46 as well, Jesus' ascension is only temporary. That He went into heaven so that He could come back to earth when He will come to judge the living and the dead. But in the meantime, we are called to be His witnesses. Verse 8. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be, look at this, my witnesses. In Jerusalem, in all Judea, Samaria, until the ends of the earth. I'd like to paraphrase those angels' words here in verse 11. Don't just stand there gazing up into heaven. Go receive the Spirit and tell the world of the wonderful salvation that has been won for you in the cross, that has been won for you in the resurrection and the ascension of Christ. It is better that Christ go to heaven. He has sent out His Spirit to us and He stands before the Father praying for us every moment of every day. And He has given us a pledge of our flesh in heaven and His Spirit on earth that we are united to Him. And we look forward to that day when He will come again to take us up with Him into heaven for all of eternity. His ascension is assurance that the gospel always ends in heaven. Amen. Let us pray. Merciful God, we do give You thanks for each and every aspect of the life and the ministry of Jesus Christ. Not only has His death saved us and set us apart to be His people, but Lord, also His resurrection, His ascension, and yes, even His coming again to take us from this earth. How grateful we are for every aspect of His ministry and His work We ask, merciful God, that you would work in our hearts to believe even the great miracles of the Bible. And that, Father, as we consider things too high for us, too wonderful for us to understand, we pray that you would come quickly. That you would send forth your Son to bring the salvation that he has promised to completion. Yes, even in our lives.